Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Regina. Greetings from my house. <laughs> so I'm probably like most of you who are out here in the house due to the Rona or coronavirus. So instead of being able to get into the studios, we're going to hit y'all with some of these really dope interviews with past guests here on Bottom of the Map. On deck for this week is Sir Foster, Mr. Foster Carson, who is the organist for the Atlanta Hawks and the DJ for the UGA football team. And, you know, I don't come from me, Albany State, but I'm going to give props where props are due. He is also a proud graduate of the Fort Valley State University. So on deck, we talk about the HBCU experience and how that impacts how he thinks about the music. Y'all check this out. I'm music journalist Christina Lee. I'm writer, researcher, and professor Dr. Regina N. Bradley. This is Bottom of the Map. Southern hip hop explored, explained, exalted. Okay, okay. For the people, one good time, good sir. Tell us who you is and what you do. What's going on, y'all? My name is Sir Foster. You might know me as the organ player for the Atlanta Hawks. I am also the DJ for the Georgia Bulldogs. Football and men's and women's basketball. You be doing a lot, but you know, <laughs> because this is the HBCU episode, you know, I'm I'm gonna be on my best behavior. Tell them what school you went to. Fort Valley State University. Uh, still unfortunate. Hey, look, look. <laughs> you know, you had the choice. You went to <gasps> Albany. Uh, I did. Are you gonna stand for that? Or yeah. You, you, you Why know. is you instigating, Christina? <laughs> <laughs> you you could have gone anywhere in the world. You chose Albany. I I can't. Well, you know, first of all, because I, I am that. a Benny girl. Second of all, didn't your brother also go to? <laughs> Hell, Albany <laughs> State, and, and guess where he came after he left Albany? Mm-mm, he still got a degree. He still, ooh, well, where did he go ooh, first? Ooh, ooh, first yeah. and finest. He, he thought he had to leave town to you know get a better experience, and then he he came back. Let me tell you and, something. Uh, wow, uh, uh-huh. he did because he he met me <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Let's answer some of the immediate questions that the people might have. Mm-hmm. Were you part of um, the Marching Wildcats? No, I actually wasn't, but. I grew up in Fort Valley, so okay. I've been seeing the Blue, Blue Machine Marching Band since I was four years old. Um, the band director that was the marching band guy when I was in high school, mm-hmm. his son actually marched in the band with me oh, in okay. high school. So, oh. yeah, and then our high school band, my band director went to an HBCU. I think he went to Fort Valley, but he went to an HBCU, so we were very influenced by Fort Valley and the Blue Machine Marching Band and just HBCU bands in general. Yeah, so you, so it's not like you were like oh, totally unfamiliar when you got to Absolutely. Fort Valley, like, nah. oh, this is the HBCU, nah. you know. Um, so talk to me a little bit, like, you know, what was, what was the experience like going to Fort Valley and, and hearing the HBC, you know, that HBCU sound? Cause I mean, for me, the HB, the band was such an integral part of yeah. my experience at Albany State. Was the same thing for you at Fort Valley? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it was, first of all, football games are, they serve a different purpose at HBCUs. Like True. they're more than just games and everybody, like nobody goes to the concession stand at halftime because halftime is the I biggest you, part Chris. of the show. <laughs> Um, so, you know, the bands battle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like common. The bands go back and forth and battle. And, of course, there are, there are times during the game where you have to, you know, calm down. But, like, the band is really – like, the interpretation of the band as for, at, at, an, at an HBCU is uh, – basically, it is the show. Right. Um, wow. So people stop playing their horns and they start singing. Um, <laughs> you know, the dancing girls are 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, the band sometimes will tell the cheerleaders what to say. It is it is that serious, and um, you know as far as playing the music that 
that people are listening to right then. I mean, the band is can be cutting edge at times. They have mm-hmm. students writing their arrangements, so they're changing them. They're always adding a new song. If something comes on the radio and it's hot, within three weeks you can expect to hear a band play. Oh, you gonna hear it during the season? Yeah, you don't know when it's gonna when it's gonna go down. What's an example of a song that you heard in like that context where it's like that song just came up on the radio and then next thing you know it's at the game? What are a couple examples? <sighs> oh man, it's, I mean, it's so many of them. Um, I think the earliest example that I can that I can say is "Who Run It" by Three Six Mafia. Shit. Oh, so, so yes, yeah, so there's actually a story behind that. So when I was in high school, we like I told you, my my band director went to an HBCU. Mm-hmm. So they did a battle of the bands in Macon, Georgia, which is 30 minutes away from Fort Valley, Georgia, and P- Fort Valley State's band was there. They actually invited Peach County High School, which was my high school, to play because we had 230 members. So we were wow. we were as big as some of the college yeah, bands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were as big as some. We used to blow every high school band out. We we sounded like a college band. Wow. But they bought FAMU to that to that battle of the bands. So FAMU actually came and they went on the field and played "Who Run It" by Three Six Mafia. So I was I was in high school at the time and I was starting to write band arrangements for the band. Yeah. So when I heard that, I actually went home and like that was one of my favorite songs anyway. So I wrote a band arrangement to Who Run It for my high school band and then I, I like did a transition into number one stunner. By the big timers. Ooh, and it so, was just a good time to be young yeah. in music during the yeah. early 2000s. So, so yeah. So. so, okay, can I ask you about like uh, transposing? So, you said like you went home, you heard them do, so I mean, like, how does like how does that process work for you? Do you like listen to the song over and over? Like, do you stop yeah. and be like, all right, let me put these notes right here? No, nope, yeah. like, can you explain us what, what that process is like? So, back then, I didn't have like the computers and stuff where you can just play it and it writes it for you. So, like, I had to, my, my high school band director used to handwrite arrangement for us. Wow. So we would actually, he would let us do like a fun show where we would, uh, he would take whatever song was on hot on the radio and he would let us make the suggestions. Mm-hmm. And then like he would actually write the band arrangement for the band. So I thought it was normal for you to handwrite band arrangements. So my first, I, I started handwriting band arrangements. And so, yes, I, I got the Three Six Mafia CD. I would listen to it like that same 30 seconds over and over and write two notes down, listen to it again, <laughs> rewind it. And I did that over and over, and I hand-wrote every part. Wow. Um, and I had to know I had to know the instruments. So, like, different horns mm-hmm. are not tuned the same way. So, like, trombones play in the key of C, but trumpets play in the key of B flat, so you have to write the notes differently. And then you have to transpose. The saxophone plays in E flat. There's an F horn. It plays in F. Clarinets, I think, in B flat. Um, yeah, we're, we're B flat. Just okay, for the yeah. record. So I and I think flutes were in C. I haven't done this in years. Yeah, right. But, you're doing good though. Okay, you're so doing yeah. Good. So you have to you have to keep that in mind when you're writing everybody's part. You might have to move the notes up or down depending on whose part it is and then what you want them to play. But I did it, and I like I said, I, I joined Three Six Mafia and Number One Stunner, and the arrangement was a success. We we played that. They actually played that like when I left high school. They were still playing that. For like five five more years. Aww. So yeah, that's part of your legacy now, yeah. Foster. Yeah, so I did that. That's fire though, cause <laughs> I think that's that's dope because I know um you know we were talking earlier, so like high school bands I think is such a significant part of HBCU tradition too because that's like where you get your recruits from. Yeah, and especially like you know in Georgia, um you know Floyd was talking about how like uh, Southwest of Cab 
yeah. was like a really close connection. Um, I remember a friend of mine, uh, Cedar Shoals, also had that yeah. really big connection. You know, Albany, not so much, but, you know, we had hopes and aspirations. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so um, as you, you know, as you made your way through, you know, your, your college experience and you started really getting serious about this music thing, what is it do you think about like Southern hip hop that resonates so, so deeply with HBCUs? It's just, it's like HBCU bands play what the audience that goes there is listening to. So HBCU bands are extremely connected to black culture. Mm -hmm. They're just part of it. And whatever is hot at the time, like we might have band shirts with those phrases on them. You know, those might be the new chants that the band is making. And the band is going to play the hot songs. Like it's not, and the band also not like we know what songs are classic to us. Mm-hmm. Maybe a song that didn't, maybe mm-hmm. the, you know, maybe it didn't go to number one on the charts. Maybe it wasn't a top ten hit, but like we know what songs are classic to us, and we know what songs you play at the barbecue. We know what songs, you know, you you. There's always a certain dance to or a certain step to, so it's just uh that's that's what our repertoire is now as far as hip hop in general. Mm-hmm. Um. Like I said, if you go to college in the South, we listen we listened to Southern hip hop before it became popular. Yes. You know, we we were three six mafia and outcast when we when the South had to battle for respect and you know, before it was just the cool thing to do. So that's what we were listening to and they play what we were listening to. Um I think now as as hip hop has grown to the point where basically rap is black music, uh I, now rap takes a even a bigger it's it's more at the forefront in terms of the HBCU repertoire mm-hmm. because Basically, that is where black music is now. It's almost like in in the same way that you know rap was introduced to HBCUs, HBCUs are being introduced to folks because of the rap. I, yeah, I mean, like to you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah especially yeah. like this post Beyonce homecoming joint. Yeah, it's like, oh, let me give let me give yeah. HBCU a, a more significant look, or at least a, a yeah. better nod. Which, first of all, I have to say, you know, it's rare that in an artist's twenty second year of their career, they come out with something that revolutionary mm. that normally you would think an artist's peak concert is anywhere from their fifth to their 10th year. Mm. You know, you, you would think peak Prince would be the purple rain tour or maybe the sign of the times tour. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think it would be 20 years later, but I've got to say like, I've been to two Beyonce concerts. I've watched quite a few of them on, on TV or DVD or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like homecoming is it, it's top, three greatest concerts I've ever seen. And I wasn't at it live, but in terms of like watching it, that is top three performance I've ever seen. And I actually think it's my favorite thing that she's done. Mm-hmm. Um I that that's incredible. Right. I that is incredible. I mean not only that, but so, you also have the um you you also have like her remix of Before I Let Go, which is probably gonna be in every HBCU. <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be on the menu. It's gonna be on the menu. So that did more more than one thing. I'm definitely in agreement with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um to kind of bring it back back but also forward a little bit. Um I loved your story about transposing who run it because I feel like it sort of predicts what you do by and large for the Atlanta Hawks now. Um and for those who aren't familiar, I was just wondering if you could tell the story about how you came to be the organist for the Atlanta Hawks. How did you become Sir Foster? Start with yes. the saxophone YouTube videos. I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, so all of the, all of this is connected. So the, re- the way I got my name, Sir Foster, um, we didn't have marching band line jackets or you know what do you call them, Letterman jackets. Mm-hmm. So this lady came to me and she was like, "Look, Foster, I want to make a line jacket for the band, and you're gonna be my first one." 
And if it works, you know, it will sell more and whatever, whatever. So you can customize it, whatever you want. I had to put something on the collar, and my name wasn't long enough to fill the collar up. So I just said, well, I'll just call myself Sir Foster. And I'll just put that on the collar. I wore that at the high school. Like, I wore it every day, and everybody liked it. I didn't wear that jacket one day, and everybody was like, where's Sir Foster? So it just stuck. So that's how I got my name. Amazing. Now, now fast forward into what she's talking about. Um, as far as getting the Hawks job, I was on Craigslist one day. The Hawks had posted an ad that said they needed an organ player. And I said, hmm, that, looks, that might be fun. I think I could do that. So some, some little voice in my head was just like, yo, you should apply for it now. So the, the application was like 15 pages. And I was Ooh, like, oh, my what God. What were they asking for? Man, anyway, everything. Yeah. So <laughs> I just, you know, I was kind of bored. I really didn't have anything else to do. So I said, I guess I'll just go ahead and finish it. And then, they, and then I had to upload a resume and all that. Long story short, I got the call in for an interview. I got to call in to play a preseason game with no sports experience. I didn't know any offensive chance, defensive chance, nothing. And they was like, go. <laughs> <laughs> I played it, you know what I mean? And they gave me the job, and here I am. Man, that's crazy. Well, I think what's interesting is that, like, you're talking about, like, going to these games and talking about, like, you know, th how these performances are just by and large a reflection of what people were listening to. So you guys were more than used to incorporating hip hop into sports and things like that. But I feel like when you came out and started playing shit like Junk Man, you know, <laughs> yeah. like on the organ, people were really floored They're by like, what, what you the were hell doing. Is that? Yeah. yeah. So I was wondering what you make of the response, especially given all that we just talked about, about how this is shit that folks have been doing. So first of all, let me say I've been extremely happy about it. People really like what I do, and they come up to me, you know, all age groups, all whatever. You know, everybody comes up to me and they say, hey, you know, we really love what you do. And that means a lot mm -hmm. um, because I, I didn't go into it trying to really make it a thing. I was just – my mindset of going into these Hawks games was like, okay, if I was sitting in the audience, what would I want to hear? Mm -hmm. I'm going to play that. And that has always been my philosophy my whole life playing music was, hey, if I was sitting there – I'd want to hear this, therefore I'm going to play it. And, uh, I can't, I, you know, I was kind of caught off guard that, like, a lot of people wanted to hear it, you know what I mean? So I, I appreciate it. I'm, I, I guess I'm, the, the biggest emotion that I have is gratefulness. You know, mm -hmm. like, people really, really like it, and they really connected to everything I was doing. And, you know, I started getting requests, and we had, like, Twitter was blowing up, and the players would talk to me. And, like, I mean, it really, like, went way farther than I anticipated. But the initial premise, I think it connected because my initial purpose was a pure one, which was, hey, I would want to hear this, so I'm going to do it. And it wasn't contrived at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, but, like, the other part of that, too, is that you're bringing those experiences that you had at Fort Valley with you yeah. and introducing it to, like, a larger, like, mainstream audience who might not have thought about i mean because i think that's what's so revolutionary about what you and, and it is what you're doing is revolutionary which makes it so so dope is that you're taking music and applying it in ways that fo you're forcing folks to like reconsider what a game is supposed to sound like how you're supposed to celebrate how you're supposed to have a good time to the point where you know when when i would hear you play i'm like this is basketball season all over again it's like <laughs> you know pastor just just he just pulling from them experiences um but you know so you got you got put on you know what i'm saying with the hawks can you talk about like what it was like playing for the all-star weekend that first time that was the greatest like experience ever um first of all the all-star game is actually way bigger when you're there like on tv it's a big experience you know you have slam dunk and everything but when you're there you see everybody like it's countless celebrities it's 
huge. They bring in a whole nother jumbotron just for that arena. Like it's it's the biggest thing. It's like the Super Bowl of basketball. Um, they fold a court down and they have a concert stage come out. I mean, to be there and watch it is ridiculous. And like I walk on the floor after the, after that game and I met everybody. I mean everybody, <laughs> Hall of Famers, you know, actors, actors like everybody. So. Um, I don't know if I can really put that in the words. I mean, just w- my first All-Star game was 2014 in New Orleans. I don't think they could have be- picked a better place for it. Man. Like, the, I mean, it was it was crazy. I would walk down the street. I bumped into people. I met Sway, like, on the sidewalk, just just cuz. Wow. You know what I'm saying? It was just crazy. I walked to the casino, which was, like, a half a mile away, and I just saw people just there. I was like, oh, that's, that's good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it was crazy. So um, that was that was the most fun thing I've, I've done that was that was i don't even think any other all-star experience i've had after that compares to that one wow yeah yeah, yeah. um how do you think um hip-hop's relationship with sports and like sports music like how would you describe that relationship now uh so it seems to me that rappers have always kind of wanted to be you know athletes and, yeah. I, and mm. athletes kind of identify with with musicians and, and uh rappers in that way too um i think every I can't speak for every guy, but I know a lot of guys. Like I still think about catching the winning touchdown, and I I ain't never played football. You know, I still <laughs> I still walk by the trash can and shoot the basketball in the trash can. You know what I mean? And I I have a terrible jumper. I still think about hitting the winning shot. So like you never really lose that connection. Like if you're a real fan, you never really lose that connection of feeling like you know when my team hits the shot, I hit it. You mm-hmm. know when Trey Young hits a three, mm-hmm. I hit that three. I didn't hit that three, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's kind of how I feel. Um, but the I think it's 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 bigger now because, you know, hip hop at one point was really taboo. Mm. Like when when Allen Iverson came out and started wearing over the top hip hop gear in in two thousand one, and he had cornrows and he had tattoos and he had really big baggy pants because that's what rappers were wearing. It was like, yo, what's going on? These are athletes. They, they don't do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the the kind of combination of. You know, rappers and athletes started really, um, I guess it was more of, the the relationship was brought more to the forefront with Mm -hmm. him. And I think people weren't comfortable with it then. Mm -hmm. And I think people are more comfortable with it now. You know, obviously, we're 20 years later. uh, Hip-hop has a different place now. Mm -hmm. It's it's Mm -hmm. more at the forefront. It's the top of the charts now. It's It's not like the stepchild that everybody's listening to and nobody wants to admit that they're listening to anymore. Now it's like with streaming, you can see everybody's listening to this. Right. And so I think people are, there's there's still some discomfort there, but overall I think people are more comfortable with the relationship between athletes and rappers now. We've been talking about, like, obviously about the marching bands, and I feel like there's some songs that I feel like I'm always going to hear a little bit differently because, like, I'm just so used to, like, the live rendition of something. And so I was wondering, like, for you, like, what are those songs that you're going to forever connect with how you heard it being performed by, like, Fort Valley Marching Band or something like that? Where, like, you hear, like, we tried to play Cameo earlier, and Regina was like, that's no, the wrong that's version. correct. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering if there was any songs that were like that for you, where it's like, no, this is the wrong version. Like, you got to hear it the way that you heard it being performed live. That's a good question. That's, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, Who Run It might be part of that. Yeah, so there are songs that I heard like a marching band play, and I didn't know it was a real song until after I, I heard the real song after I had already heard the marching band play it. Um, there are there are a couple of those. Um, Wait, like what? My high school used to play. The band director wrote a, wrote an arrangement of, a, of an old Michael Jackson song called "Working Day and Night." 
Ah. Mm. And I had never heard it. So all I knew was. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yep. That's all I knew. I didn't know that was a real song. And when I heard the real song, I was like, oh, that's that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so um, I guess that one sticks out for me. Um, before I let go, Frankie Beverly and Maze. Mm. Because I think, I'm, I'm sure I had heard the song before, but I never heard it sound like that. Yeah. You know, it's when when the real song comes on, it comes on with like a guitar or something. Mm. When a marching band plays it, it comes on with dun, 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 and like the you don't hear the sound, the sound hits you. And so like I'm sorry. You know, I had to get used to hearing the Frankie Beverly and Maze when after I heard a marching band play it because it doesn't hit you the same way. This ain't crunk enough. It's not. <laughs> you know, the sound literally knocks you back and it's like, oh man. So that I think those are the two. The reason why I know you, Sir Foster, is because right around like 2014, 2015, first of all, folks were making requests on Twitter. And I was like, yeah. who's putting in all these requests and who is it to and all this other stuff. But then I find out that it's folks that are putting in requests for songs like Jumpman, for, you know, for songs that I would be hearing on hip hop radio, but to be played on a keyboard, sounding like an organ, yeah, <laughs> in a basketball game. Um, what are the what are the requests that you remember from that particular time, um, or even just like more recently? Like, what I mean, kind of songs do people <clears throat> request from you? Everything. I mean, it. The request took on a life of their own. First of all, back then it got to the point where there were times where I would hear a song for the first time because a fan requested it. Um, the first time I heard Bobby Shmurda, it was like randomly you know somebody hit me on a like on a tuesday morning or something it was like yo sir Frost, you got to play this and she sent me the shmoney dance video and i was like okay you know this is dope <laughs> um it it got to a point where like as streaming got more popular if an album dropped at midnight and we had a hawks game that day they wanted to hear stuff that day and like you know it takes me a little time to learn the song, so I was, I was kind of like, yo, I you know, I can't do it today. Um, I haven't even had time to listen to the album. Um, but, yeah, that's, I mean, I got Kendrick Lamar requests, you know, anything, that whatever the hottest songs that were out. Yeah. Um, and then every now and then you get something that was obscure, but I think people did that just to, you know. To test you, maybe? Yeah. Test your gangster? Yeah, yeah right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, it, whatever was hot, you know, people would, people would send it in. Yeah, I feel like the first time we met, you were playing uh, Body Party by Sierra. And I was like, I don't think I've ever heard this in like yeah. a sports arena setting before. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. When we would go to timeouts or things that anything that I wasn't involved in, in that's when I would check Twitter and kind of see what people were requesting. Mm. And um, I tried to make it to most of the requests. A lot of times, like if something was, was really hot or if it had just come, come out, like you might have 20 requests for the same song. So that made it easier because it was like, okay. I'm going to get that one next. But, yeah, I, I did, after a little while, get to a point where I let the audience play a really big role in what was going to be played next. Um, and and my, my policy is to you kind of let the vibe of the room tell me what to play next. Mm -hmm. But I kept the audience request in mind. If, mm -hmm. if, hey, this is a good spot. Everybody wants to hear it. If it's right here, let's go. And I didn't really, I didn't really try to overthink it. So yes, the, um, the audience's Twitter requests play a huge role in what was getting played at the games. Hey, where you going? Uh-uh. We're coming right back. We'll be back after the break with more from Sir Foster.
What up, what up? It's your man, Sir Foster, and right now you tune in the bottom of the map. Let's kind of establish, like, what songs you typically expect to hear from, like, an organ or, like, a keyboard during these sports games. Yeah. What's an example to you of some, like, classic sports songs that you typically hear, whether it's a polka or something? Yeah, or so you might hear Mex- Mexican hack dance. Charge. I would play. The yeah. defense, right? Yeah, defense, of course. And, you know, <laughs> let's go hard. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I would play Waka Flocka. <laughs> or Trick Daddy. You know? <laughs> I wish y'all could see him actually playing the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I went a complete 180 from what you would expect to hear from an organ at a game. Um, so I have a, a question because I'm a nerd. So, But you already knew this. I'm curious about, like, the influence of the church. Because usually when you think about an organ, mm-hmm. outside of like the traditional sports music that you talk about, they automatically put it like in a church setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like curious, like, you know, did you have any like, how did, how, first of all, how did you start to play the organ? Because when I, I thought it was when I met church, you, right? When I met you, um, it was saxophone all day, every day. Yeah. So I'm like, how did you transition from like those, YouTube videos that you did of you playing saxophone, yeah. I remember all of them. You keep telling on him. <laughs> I'm telling all his business. Yeah. Uh, to to being known for playing the organ. Can you walk us through like how that transition started? Or had you always played the organ and we just didn't know it? I, I had always played the organ. I Actually, the piano was my first instrument. Um, I started playing, taking lessons in first grade. Wow. Um, the lady at church was my first piano teacher. So she played for the children's choir and, and you know she taught piano lessons on the side. So that's how I learned the first public places that I played at, were, the first public place that I played at was church. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really where I started to develop my style, and I learned how to, you know, like gospel music is hard. Like it's you know intros that have nothing to do with the song, and like you know the most complex chords and like all of that. But it's fun. It's fun, but it's hard. So you know, it, it really helped me to build my skills up. Mm. And then from there, I started, you know, playing in clubs and jazz clubs and playing in cover bands and stuff like that. And I, I think my sound became a little bit more well-rounded because, you know, every song didn't have to sound like a church song. It could sound like it had influence from the church, which is, which is fine, but it didn't sound like I was playing a church song mm. when I did it. And so that is, um, but yeah, the church was a huge, you know, it's, it's the first place I played and it, was, it, it played a huge role. I think it still plays a huge role in my sound. I hope I answered your whole question. Yeah, did I, I, did was, I miss? No, <laughs> no, nothing was missed. Okay. I just I just think that it's 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 so dope to see how a more contemporary artist like yourself still falls in line with this larger kind of like black music or southern black music legacy of the church got something to do with yeah. how you craft and think about uh think about your sound and to be able to just kind of find a way to transition but still be influenced by those experiences is really dope. Yeah, and you know, you ladies have brought to my attention like and I didn't even I didn't even think about this until I got on this show today, but like subliminally going to all those marching band games and all those football games and hearing the band play the popular songs, like subliminally that had to have planted something in me Mm -hmm. to make me want to do that. And I never thought about that connection until like right now. And now that I'm thinking about it, like when I was at the high school talent shows and I would play the piano and like, between acts they just needed me to play the piano and I would like play like the popular song on the radio and the teachers didn't know what it was and the students knew what it was like I've always been that same person 
because I always had those marching band experiences from four years old and I always had those church experiences and I always had all of that. So like I've always been me and now it's just on a bigger platform. So that's, you know, y'all are, y'all are making me realize like how everything that I grew up hearing influenced who I am and, and how I play. Well, that's what we do at Bottom of the Map. We're the Epiphany <laughs> Factory. Yeah. <laughs> You had returned to Fort Valley in 2017. I caught a video of you performing. Uh, That's what I like with Bruno Mars by Bruno Mars. It was with the marching band. Do you remember? I can't. Yeah. Yeah, because I was okay. (laughs) Yeah, wow, I did that. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes it's like that. You're like, I did that. Oh, I did do that. (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, Fort Valley State called me and they were like, yo, we want you to, uh, we see what you do for the Hawks. We want you to come down and DJ our football games. Mm. I was like, yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Let's get it. But they were like, we also want you to play with the band. So, I um so I DJed the game like in between plays. You know, I would hit stuff. And, And football is a different sport than basketball. So, I had to tailor what I do to the game. But it was fun. And then, um, I I went out and played a played a your saxophone solo with the marching band on that's what I like I yeah I did do that that's what you, but that's how you feel like you know you made it right like when yeah. you go back to your stomping grounds they'd be like we want yeah. you to you just be like yeah I'll yeah. do it <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a huge thing for me like I felt like wow I get to come back to the school and I'm contributing you yes know? And, and, and like the school gave me so much yes you know what I mean so I I don't know if I pictured that and then to be able to come back and do it and, and like they had publicized it and everybody you know was there to see me or whatever it was a great feeling oh my God. it was awesome mm. you come from a musical family because mm-hmm. your little brother cullen cullen carson mm-hmm. um who was one of my you know full disclosure he was one of my college best friends like we were real real close at albany state um he also does music you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying you do the music sometimes y'all collaborate yeah um you have a little one on the way yeah i do um what do you think your your legacy is for the future for these for these next folks that are on the come up what do you want them to understand about what the power of the music is before i answer that let me let me do a shameless plug really quick okay mm-hmm. so you mentioned my brother um so me and my brother do collaborate my brother's a bass player he's a piano player he also is a songwriter and me and my production partner have been doing jingles oh, like nice. actually jingles on the radio um, we did one for Jay Sanders, the lawyer. The one that gets stuck in my head all the goddamn time. Yes. <laughs> so this next one, we just did another one. It's on the radio right now, and Cullen actually wrote the lyrics to that. Nice. So <gasps> I won't tell y'all what his first song was he let me listen to. Well, maybe, maybe for the newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> Cullen actually wrote the song. Uh, my man Cochise and I produced it. Well, actually, my man Cochise, me, and another guy produced it. Um, I kind of played an executive role, like call in the singer. I called in my brother to write in. It was it's just a big experience. So you'll be seeing me post more of that. Nice. Um, now to answer your question, what do I want my legacy to be? Um, I hope that when it's all said and done, this is only part of it. Mm. Um, I, I I'm extremely happy with the mark that I've already made. Um, it's not something that I ever saw myself really doing. I didn't really think of the sports entertainment space as something that you could even do i kind of fell into it by accident and i'm happy that i've been able you know the hawks took a really they were they were forward thinking to be able to take someone who basically had no sports experience and kind of teach me the right way to fit it in because i think we were all kind of figuring it out as we went Mm -hmm. but they always allowed me to be myself they never tried to you know really you know rein me in or, or change me or anything like that they allowed me to be myself and and, and and just do what I did on their platform. 
So, you know, big shout out to them. I, I'm thankful to have, have, have worked for an organization such as them that, that could do that. Um, but by the end of my life or musical career, I would hope that I have had a Quincy Jones-like career. Mm. You know what I mean? Respect. Like a, a, I think he's the greatest producer of all time. I think, you know, when, when most, most of the time when music changes, like the producers of that era give way to the new producers. Quincy mm-hmm. like understood all the new music and he just kept rolling with it. And like he never, his sound never got old and he produced from the fifties to the nineties. He had mm-hmm. a 40 year run of hit songs, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, to be able to have an understanding of music that is so forward thinking that when the next thing comes, you can still do it. Right. I hope that by the time my life is over and I've lived to be 150 mm-hmm. and I've left this great musical legacy that, you know, in addition to doing what I did on the sports level, I would have had that type of impact on music in the world. That That is what I hope. So that's kind of one of the things that keeps me going. Well, you know, for what it's worth, I think that you're definitely going in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, it's it's wonderful, and it's so innovative, and it's always so crunk when you see folks that you came up with before folks knew who we were. Yeah. Aww. That it was, yeah. was amazing. So, you know, thank you. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for putting the music on, on a – in an international platform like folks from out the country are like oh yeah i know who that is and what he does <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um so just you know thank you for that thank you for being a beacon that's wonderful thank you all thank you all, and thank y'all for what you do too out to sir foster i really love this conversation man it's all love it's always love between hbcu folks you know what i'm saying so if you want to hear more about the hbcu experience and how sir foster sees himself in it check out season one episode 13 our band is better than your band and then let us know what you think all right y'all be easy we'll see y'all next week Thank you for listening to Bottom of the Map, brought to you by WABE and PRX. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It will help more people find this show. Follow Bottom of the Map on your social media platforms at BOTMPod. Again, that's BOTMPod. Bottom of the Map is hosted by Christina Lee and Dr. Regina N. Bradley. Produced by Floyd Hall. That's me. Edited and mixed by Stephen Major Key. Our executive producers are Jan Berry and John Haas. Our theme music is produced by Smith and Cash. Special thanks to Mike Johns and Lois O.G. Reitzes. This program was made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Follow, subscribe, connect. Holla. It's as they say in international players anthem, Mike, I choose you.